passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. everyone and welcome to another episode of Cruel Summer, our look back at each and every G1 Climax Finals from the years 1991 to 2018. And in fact, for the foreseeable future, this will be the last episode. This is episode 28 covering uh, 2018 Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi. And joining me on this episode is the man who started all with me over at episode one covering 1991. He is, of course... John Pollock. John, how have you been for the last 27 years? <laughs> you and I thought alike. I was going to make the same joke. You know, it's uh, it's flown by, WH. I feel like it, it's, it felt like it was just a few months ago, but man, it's been a lifetime since you and I were waxing poetic about the very first G1 in 1991. That's right. And there's been so many uh, incredible like uh, milestones in the history of the G1 finals, moving to the uh, the Cebu Dome for one year uh, in the middle of a typhoon that I was at, uh, going to Budokan Hall last year with a building with John. I don't. I think I told you during the review last year how amazing the air conditioning in that building was. Fantastic. Uh, we'll talk you know, more about I, that. Was actually my. It was actually my first question is. What is what is it like inside Sumo Hall in the middle of August? Is is it is it pretty hot? It's it's a, it's a sweat box. <laughs> this became my favorite running joke throughout every single show. Is that you would make the guest aware of just what a what a microwave the Sumo Hall is in the, in the middle of the summer and how go- it sounds like you would rather go to the electric chair than be sentenced to another G one final at Sumo Hall. It would probably be less hot. Uh, being electrocuted, John, than sitting in uh, the very top. My, I, I know that it hasn't aired yet, but I don't know if you've listened to the raw audio yet. But the, the episode, I think, it was with uh, Rich Krejci of Voices of Wrestling. I talked about the first time I ever went to Sumo Hall. It was a two day stint with Chris Charlton, and the second night, the finals night, we were literally almost touching the ceiling. We were that high up in in the building, and it was so hot. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was so bad. But I'm not going to be talking about how hot it is for this episode because we are in the glorious Budokan Hall for, for this episode. And I'm so happy to be talking about that building just for a variety of reasons. And uh, yeah, and also like to this this uh, episode at the end of this review, uh, maybe after the end of trivia, we'll talk about I went through who I what I thought were the top 10 G1 Climax final matches in history, as well as, as, well as the, the top five wrestlers who have performed in the finals. And we'll discuss that probably before, yeah, before we end the show itself. Uh, also, I do want to say this is the, you know, the 
ostensibly the last episode of this show. But John, I'm going to run this by with you on air. What do you think? Maybe next year I'll do Cruel, Cruel Summer episode 29 covering 2019. You've got it. Yeah, let's see how this year's final holds up a year later. Well, we'll we'll see if it's uh, better or worse than uh, Masahiro Chono versus Kaz- uh, Kazuki Fujita. We'll see. It, it, it would There's... take a lot. It would take <laughs> a great effort to be worse in that match. I'll say that. There, there have been some. Uh... There have been some duds through, throughout the G1, and you've kind of documented all of them, like the the highs and lows and going from, you know, some G1 finals that were sub nine minutes to this one that I've got to venture to guess this was the longest G1 final that we're going to be discussing today. Yes. But it didn't feel like it, John, because the air conditioning in that building was amazing. Yeah, you were at this this show, correct? I was at all three Budokan Hall shows. Once it was announced that it was Budokan, I contacted... Uh, my old co-host Jojo Remy, and I said, I want to go to all three nights. How about you? And he said, yep, let's go. Uh, I think because I think it was also Jojo. I, I don't know if it was Jojo's first time in Budokan. He might have seen uh, a previous Noah show there, but like it was definitely our first time seeing New Japan and, and such a, you know, a, a monumental event as the last three nights of the G1. And this particular G1, like the you know 2018 edition was, I think, really stacked. Like we had all these like terrible matches in the A block with with Balakfale and and Tamatanga and the such, but you know, it overall I thought it was such a great G one and compared to like how the G one's running this year as of this recording, we're we're just past the, the three uh, Corkin shows and I, I gotta say I I feel I felt more excited about last year's tournament at this point in time than this year's right now and i i don't know why because i I do feel like the participants in this year are a bit more exciting and fresh because we have all these new people uh, being cycled into the g1 and like some stalwarts being kind of cycled out yeah i i i might have a a similar reaction to you until this year's uh Cork and Hall shows because those three were three of the best main events I've seen this year. Probably my match of the year in there as well. And I dug this up from last year because uh, when I was doing all the G1 shows, like I kept track of all the matches. So of my top 10 matches last year, only three of them took place before day number 10. So really for me last year, at least for me, it was kind of the midway mark when you like to me, all the big blow away matches uh, occurred and yeah, this one's certainly qualifying in there. If you follow the trend of the G1, like from, I'd say, about 2015, 16, up till now, like usually it hits a peak at, at the Corkin shows, takes, takes you know, it lulls a bit, maybe even dives a little, depending on some of the matches. But then when we get to Osaka, when we get to the Osaka shows, John, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ramp up because they always save like the big, big matches for Osaka before they hit the final stint in Budokan. Yeah, I, I feel when all is said and done, I think this one's going to be viewed as the, the best G1 of all time, this being 2019. Yeah, we shall see. I, I still have like a lot of fond memories of, I think it was 2017, which had like Nakajima and Marafuji, because I just saw mm-hmm. so many good matches with those guys freshening things up. But but let's talk about 2018, John. Uh, the 2018 G1 Climax was a two-block, 20-man Round Robin tournament held from July 14th to August 12th. Uh, due to renovations at Sumo Hall, the final three nights were moved to Budokan Hall. Much to my joy, because Budokan was on my venue bucket list. And, of course, uh, I wouldn't know this going in, but I, I would find out as I got into the first night that it, it is a beautifully well-ventilated building. And and just 
it, just from an aesthetic point of view, John, it is an absolute beautiful building. Like no bad sight lines anywhere. I, I place it like my recent experience at Dominion at Osaka Joe Hall, same type of building as Budokan. Just just a great place. Like the Japanese, I'll say this, they know how to build an arena to watch wrestling in, you know? It, it does it hit your level of uh, a Kata Star Lanes though? Can I go? Can I could I go bowling at Budokan? You cannot go bowling at Budokan Hall, mm. but you know, but it's surrounded by like a beautiful like kind of like uh, a courtyard, kind of reminiscent of a Japanese castle. So it has that going for it, but you you cannot go bowling after. And unfortunately, Hakata Star Lanes is is no more. It, it, it was torn down uh, earlier this year, I believe this this past spring. So. It is gone. But Hakata Star Lanes is a cool place to go to. It was, a, it was a bit of a dump, but it was still a cool place. But this place, this Budokan Hall, John, you know, how many matches did I see, like, from All Japan and Noah emanating from this building on tape? Like, I just couldn't believe I was in this building. I was like, oh, my God, this is where, like, Kobashi got suplexed off the apron, off the ramp by Misawa, I think. I think it was in Budokan Hall. Like, I all the classic you know kawada versus masawa matches happened here it just had this immense feeling of joy to be in that building yeah it's um it's one of the things that uh, i would have loved to have been able to understand the japanese commentary because i'm sure there would have been such a huge focus on like the history of this building and really having that building come to life during the final uh and on the english broadcast which is what i watched for this i mean chris charlton certainly did his best to kind of convey the history and this is the arena where ideologies collide and this this really was like a big this was the first time i think most of the wrestling audience really paid attention to uh, chris charlton's contributions he had been on broadcast throughout this g1 but this was the show that the commentary was a, a big talking point uh coming out of this show and i think drawing upon that history plays to chris's strength oh definitely i i think this is kind of where uh really chris made his mark among the the western audience of new japan pro wrestling i remember like traditionally i i still watch the the japanese commentary because that's just like my you know i'm used to it mm-hmm. it's, it's my go-to like i it, i feel the most comfortable watching japanese wrestling with japanese commentary but i know like i would listen to some of chris's commentary and i i, I would just see tons of positive feedback on my twitter timeline like oh my god he knows so much uh, oh my god like this i i learned so much about watching like about the building itself, about the the history between these two wrestlers, like in this case, Ibushi and Tanahashi listening to Chris. And, you know, the thing is, Chris knows a lot about Kota Ibushi. He's, he's a big DDT fan from way back. That's where he first got exposed to Kota Ibushi and, and Kenny Omega both. And then he brought that knowledge of, of those wrestlers when they parlayed themselves into New Japan. He brought them and put their DDT con- history into context in their New Japan setting, which was, I think, really valuable for the Western audience. It's It's something that, I mean... Japanese wrestling I find as a whole but specifically right now New Japan like they will draw upon that like little things like doing doing a move that is uh, has historical significance or going to a building that has historical roots and it's something that I feel like just throwing out an example like a WWE okay you have uh, SummerSlam coming up in a couple of weeks and Randy Orton is challenging for the title where he won his very first title 
against Chris Benoit. That's not going to be brought up once for obvious reasons, but even if it wasn't Chris Benoit, that's not the kind of stories WWE te- uh, tells, drawing upon their history to tell present-day stories. And that's something that, to me, is the deeper layers of New Japan storytelling. But for newer viewers, you have to be able to point that out and note the the significance of you know, Kazuchika Okada hitting the Emerald Flosion and why that is so significant in the match with Marufuji a few years back in the G1. All little things like that, that it's a cool move, but there's a lot more story to it than just the move in and of itself. And here you had, you know, the significance of Shibata being in Tanahashi's corner. That uh, was, was its own story in this final. Oh, definitely. Like, I'll get to that as well. Like, for me, that was one of the highlights of that match was just seeing Shibata and he's cornering this guy who like he had a lot of problems with when like when they were both young lions when they were both starting out as stars coming up in this the, the young lion system and, and like getting that push as the new three musketeers along with shinsuke nakamura and then he comes back and there's like this friction legit friction in the locker room between him and like tanahashi and nakamura and it's it's, it's a slow process of them you know kind of becoming friends in the locker room and like off screen as well as now on screen that they're showing it here. And it was just like such a, a great moment for me, but I, I want to kind of save that talk about it for when we, we get into the, the start of the match here. Uh, let's get back to the actual tournament itself. Let's talk about the blocks, John. So in a block, we have Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, uh, Jay White making his G1 debut, Minoru Suzuki, uh, evil Yoshihashi, Michael Elgin, Togi Makabe, Hagman Page making his J1, G1 debut and actually becoming a star. I felt this is where he became mm-hmm. a star during this tournament. And, of course, the the, the MVP of A Block, Bad Luck Fale. <laughs> yeah, this was a polarizing A Block uh, because of uh, Bad Luck Fale. And also Jay White from, from the get-go as well. He was coming out and got the big wins over Okada and Tanahashi out of the gate. And you could certainly see, like, Jay White was not a finished product by the G1, but I, th- I thought he was in much better, uh, a much better position coming out of the G1. Uh, but you got to see good and bad from that as well. Um, but, you know, Okada and, o- and Tanahashi were, by the end of it, really stars of it. But yeah, you're completely right about Hangman Page. Like, this was the one where if you didn't have a solid read on Hangman Page and what his upward trajectory would be, I think this this tournament really gave you that confidence that this is a future star. And I think most people see that in hangman page there. He's not there yet, but I think most people, if they were purchasing stock, they would buy a lot of it on hangman page to be a top star within 12 to 18 months. Obviously the guys in the elite saw it at that time as well, because he's obviously being positioned as like their top you know, young prospect. And the guy's going to carry that company as a main eventer in, in AEW. Yeah, he's he's one that, um, you know, I I think he would have greatly like this year. AEW strategy has been to really make it special when their guys wrestle and you're not going to get 80 matches out of Kenny Omega this year or the Young Bucks. It's special when they wrestle. Uh, And by default, Hangman Page falls into there as well. And, you know, if politically, if it could have happened, I think Page could have benefited greatly during this downtime to have some some tours of new japan uh and to be going over there more often but uh he's had a very quiet year but it's also been by the strategy that AEW's had but i i think i think had he been in this year's g1 and everything had not gone down the way it did i think hangman page would have been pro- pretty much in the juice robinson role this year as someone who's got out to a hot start and would have been uh maybe not alive in the final weekend but pretty close to it 
I think he would have got definitely key wins if he was in this year's tournament. But uh, moving on to B-Block, we have Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega, Zack Sabre Jr., Tetsuya Naito, Tomohiro Ishii, <laughs> Sonata. This is insane, this B-Block. This B-Block was nuts last year. Uh, Sonata, Juice Robinson, Hiroki Goto, and the two MVPs. Toriano and Tamatanga. Of- yeah, T- Tamatanga was a bit of an anchor in this B block, but that even all the bullshit finishes could not overcome like that list you just rattled off. Um, Omega and Naito, they ha- uh, they started off on the second night. That was one of the best matches of the tournament, and really was building to things down the road of a of an eventual Naito win over Kenny Omega that would never be realized. Um, Omega and Ishii had the match in Osaka that I I so remember because it was a show. I'm pretty sure you and Wade did that show because I was away that weekend at a wedding. And I remember during the break, we we went to the wedding ceremony and then we had the four hour gap. So we went to my wife's parents' house and I flipped on New Japan World to watch this match. And there I am in like my my suit watching this match and just like this is this might be the best match of the entire tournament. Um there was and Juice Robinson, you know, to a lesser extent, I thought had a great story throughout with the hand injury and cutting the promos about doubting himself and that if he fails, he's going to go back home. Uh, there was the the B block was really really solid last year. So when they announced that Ibushi and Omega were going to be in the same block, I I lost my mind because I thought, oh my god, like they're going to do the match in the G one. They're going to do it as a, yeah. as a as a tournament match. I, I like flipped out, John, because I, I thought this is they're going to save this. I thought this was going to be the Wrestle Kingdom main event. I thought they were going to have Ibushi win like one of the blocks, and then Omega was going to be in a different block, and then Ibushi would get the title shot, and they would build the Golden Lovers sp- splitting apart and and colliding at Wrestle Kingdom. But that's not where they went. And you know, to that effect, I I had no inkling. I absolutely was stunned when it turned out that Hiroshi Tanahashi was going to go into the finals against Kotobushi. And once I realized that, John, like I was like, oh my God, I'm going to watch the greatest wrestler to ever grace the New Japan ring, Kota, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, take on like the hottest star in modern Japanese wrestling in, in Kota Ibushi. My mind was just melting, John. First of all, I was going to see Omega Ibushi on one night, and I was going to get another you know, Okada Tanahashi match on the first night. And then in the finals was going to be one of like some amazing matchup. And it turned out to be Ibushi and Tanahashi. The, the anticipation levels, John, were just through the roof for me. Yeah. I mean, you really can't uh, look at those, the booking of those Budokan nights that you get, you get Tanahashi and Okada for one audience, you get Ibushi and Omega for another. And then it culminates with kind of this, What's been really this this interesting generational linkage between Tanahashi and Abushi that it's uh, like it, it built up to Abushi's big win over Tanahashi 2016 G1 I believe it was I, um, I think so yeah or 2017 uh, and, and just the, like their story which um, they had that amazing power struggle match the uh, the prior year before this G1 as well so they have this unique history with it. And then kind of Kenny Omega is lingering over it in the corner. So like there were so many dynamics at play uh, in this final. Yeah, it was, it was just such a, the stage was set. And I I felt when I got into the building on, on that day, there's just electricity in the air and you could just, it was just palpable. You know, that's the best word I can use to describe the atmosphere of anticipation to see in a G1 final, like Outside of like a Wrestle Kingdom, you know, world title match, this 
the G1 has to have the the most like you know excitement buzz around it on the New Japan calendar for New Japan fans. Yeah, I, I think so. It's it's a tournament that it's like it's it stands on on its on its history that people know how significant this is that it is the deepest tournament in the world and you're right like during that final it's just the the buzz it, it translates and i can't imagine what it is being there live in the building for this uh, especially at budokan that comes with all that history with a, a fan base that truly appreciates that history the performers play to that history and treat it like it, it lifts the match to have that much more significance and we'll get into it as well like to me it was the reactions of both after the match that were as significant as any of the moves in the match because it really just puts an exclamation point on the drama attached to this and what what you do the the high of a victory and the low of a loss as well definitely let's let's take a look at yeah, each man's path to the to the finals for Tanahashi he won seven of his matches and he drew with Okada a very significant draw it would play later on in the year in their in their rivalry, and he would lose to Jay White, uh, giving him uh, so giving Tanahashi the highest score in a twenty man field in the history of the tournament with fifteen points. Uh, for Ibushi, he went six and three, losing only to Sonata, Tamatanga, and uh, Toroyano. So definitely, like kind of Tanahashi has the edge as far as the points go, and like his win loss record, even though like technically he only won. You know, uh, he won seven, but he had the the draw against Okada, and you know, like Ibushi. I don't know, but Ibushi losing to like I understand why they lose to Tonga. Like I can understand that booking. The, the one with Sonata, like I have yet to see that pay off. You know, like since. No, it's not something that Sonata will get the key win, but then it's never the step further, and it's it's kind of like. I wouldn't say he's at the level of like a, a Goto, but it's it's somewhat similar where it's right when he reaches a certain level, he gets that big win and that will kind of keep those that are optimistic about him escalating to that next level alive for another period of time. And Sonata, it's he's kind of in that role this year as well. Like we're talking before he's had the match with Okada that is obviously his most important match in the tournament in terms of whether he finally gets the the win over Okada uh, in a non-title scenario to set up uh, yet another challenge for the title. So uh, another, actually a personal record for me, John, this is the most G1s I went to live. So I went to the two shows in Osaka that weekend, as well as uh, the final three nights at Budokan. So I, I, I attended five G1 shows live uh, in 2018. I, I'm not breaking that this year because I'm going to zero this year. But I, I have to say, John, I don't know if I'm going to be going to Tokyo in the summer of 2020, because I think Tokyo is just going to be an ungodly crowded mess with, with the tourists coming in for, for the Olympics. So I might be Tokyo, like Tokyo might be a no go zone for me next year. Yeah. Do do you see the G1 schedule being greatly affected by the Olympics or do you think uh, that they can navigate the country uh, around the Olympics? I think they can navigate like all the dates outside of Tokyo fairly well. Um, I would imagine they're going to buy, like if they ever, if they, sometimes they take a train or, or planes to go to further, further locations, but a lot of their traveling is done by bus. I don't know what 
the schedule. Like, I'm going to be very curious when we're, when, you know, like you, me, and Wei, we're going to be in the Tokyo Dome for the two nights this coming January. That's when they're going to announce their big schedule, all the big shows of their schedule. I'm very curious when they're, when the last three nights of the, of the G1 are going to be and where it's going to be held because, like, I can't imagine that they're going to try to fit it until after the Olympics, because it's, it's a, it's, this place is going to be crazy, John. Everyone's talking about it right now. It's in the news. They don't think Tokyo can handle the influx of people coming into Tokyo because for one thing, Tokyo is a very, very crowded city as it is. And it, over mm-hmm. the last several years, like more and more tourism has been happening in this, in, in Tokyo. Like you, and I see it every time I go to Tokyo, I'm like, there's more people here than I can remember in years past. And and it's tough going on these trains, going on the bullet train to get into Tokyo, to leave Tokyo. I, I can't imagine you have all these fly-ins, like people from around the world who come to the to Tokyo for the G1. And like all these other wrestling companies are, are smart enough to book many, like ton, tons of shows at Shinkiba and, and, and uh, Korokin during this time, John. So I, I can't imagine what Tokyo is going to be like in 2020 uh, if... Like, you know, if New Japan holds it the same week uh, or in or, or before the Olympics, I, it just boggles my mind. Well, it's also I mean, if you are someone that's that's flying over there, uh, it's not even so much, you know, say they can book all the regular spots. But, man, what is what is the cost of a hotel going to be in Tokyo when you've got the volume of tourists for the Olympics on top of that, that it may be uh, strategic and fan friendly to avoid the Olympics and and push it uh, on the calendar? Yeah, totally. So, you know, like that's one of the big things I'm actually looking forward to seeing at uh, this year's at this coming year's Wrestle Kingdom is when are they going to hold the G1? What's that scheduled going to be like, especially the, the last three nights? But um, one night tournament. The Buff Bagwell G1 special. Oh, tremendous. Maybe they can get Bagwell to, to MC and, and present the flag. They'll say to Masahiro Chono, Chono-san, this year, you don't give the flag the winner. This year, it's Buff Bagwell-san. And, and you see just Buff Bagwell do his, like, you know, muscle pose. You know, you know what yeah, I mean? Him, him, and, him and Scott Norton come in to, to present the, the flag to, to next year's winner, and, Jay and, maybe, and you know who can give the big check? Scott Steiner, John. <laughs> with a tiger a giant tiger that's right it'd be awesome okay let's get to the match itself so we start up new japan world and uh out comes uh kota ibushi first and kenny omega is in his corner of course they're in the midst of their run as the golden lovers tag team uh out second is hiroshi tanahashi and in his corner john holding the ropes for him is katsuyori shibata who's been out with his, his injury from the, the match he had with Kazuchika Okada, but he's in Tanahashi's corner. And it's significant, John, because like they had, you know, like legit heat with them between themselves backstage. They, because of Shibata's leaving of the company and returning, but they, you know, in that, in the meantime, they patched things up and now you see Shibata legit, like supporting Tanahashi. You can tell he legit wants him to win the G1. He knows he's winning it, obviously, but he's, he's, you know, he's feeling it because he's an, he's still a worker at this point, John, you know, I, I don't know. It just, for me, when I saw that Shibata was a corner and, and I'm with Jojo Remy and Jojo is a huge Shibata fan as well. And we were just like looking at each other. Oh my God, this is amazing. I never thought I'd see that happen because you never got a hint of it on screen before this, John. No, it was like this, this kind of, um, 
unexpected surprise on top of the final that just kind of added to the gravity of that. And on top of it, it is six years from when Shibata returns, which was the final night of the G1 in, in 2012 with Sakuraba. So you have that, that kind of uh, tie in with it where he shows up at the end of that G1 as this complete outsider. And in this one, he's embraced by the person that eh, for most, most identifies as New Japan Pro Wrestling in Hiroshi Tanahashi. So it was, it just added to the atmosphere that much more um, having Kenny Omega and Katsuri Shibata in opposite corners uh, looking over this. And I, I just added it. It was great because they never became the focus. They were just like these figures overlooking this match, but they never took the attention away. It was still the spotlight was Tanahashi Abushi. And then you had these like cornermen essentially that were, uh, have their own kind of aura to them. Yes, definitely. I and not just for me, but this entire building was like reacting like in, incredibly emotionally to the you know the presence of Shibata in in Tanahashi's corner. Uh, we start off the match with a huge Tanahashi call, John. Right away, there's, they haven't even touched yet, and there's a huge call for Hiroshi Tanahashi. I do feel like there was a wave of like. Uh, not sympathy, but like support, like because like we, we all thought Tanahashi wasn't going to make it to the finals. I don't, I don't think there was anyone really out there who thought that he was going to make it to the finals. Everyone thinks every year they think he's done, he's done, he's done. But here he is, and lo and behold, like he's going to have one of the greatest matches of his career, one of the greatest matches in G One history. But we don't know that yet because like you know we we have all these great matches he he had, but we also had like some not so great matches in in the G One, but. Here we are. It's the final night in Budokan. You have Omega and Shibata in the corner. So we start, and there's a huge call. Uh, early part of the match is a lot is really grappling based uh, with Tanahashi, especially trying to uh, ground and slow Ibushi down. Uh, Tanahashi takes early control with a drop kick to Ibushi's right knee, which he proceeds to work over with kicks and submissions, including an inverted Indian deathlock. So right right off the bat, you see like Tanahashi is trying to like take away one of you know Ibushi's big moves which is his kicks and the other thing would be like trying to ground him so he does not he's not able to do a lot of his high flying moves yeah it was uh it was kind of a great way like you you got subtle hints that I thought from both during during this match of like little heel things but not overt at at either point and and I think that that's like these two are so synonymous as these baby faces, but I think when called upon, they can do those subtle little things to change the the tempo of the match. And you kind of got that with uh, a little bit of this with Tanahashi, who knows that he can't match kick uh, match strikes with this guy uh, or fly at his level. So it made a, a natural start to this match to eliminate those those weapons. So Ibushi is able to come back with a running kick to uh, Tanahashi's chest. Uh, he dodges a, a charging Tanahashi who's running into him in the corner by jumping over him. And he hits a power slam and a second room moonsault. And I was just like, like, you know, I, I've been watching these matches, John, like where I watch them and I take hand notes. I write everything down. I don't use a computer. So I'm like, oh, OK, I got I got to rewind that. Okay, I can write some more down. Got to rewind that. But every time I, I I rewound stuff and watch the sequence back again, I was just like blown away. Just the athleticism on display by Kotobushi here is just mind blowing. Yeah, it was. Um, it, you know, he was just so seamless in, in this match, and it's just you you watch uh, when he's in there with, with someone like a Tanahashi, and just everything's on point, and it's something that 
I think you sometimes take for granted with, with Kota Bushi, like the smoothness, but it never feels as though it's it's choreographed or it just feels uh, too pretty. It's uh, he has been able to just master that that art of his particular offense that I, I think that that is something that to me has always separated him from from the pack. Uh, from here, we see Ibushi uh, using a drop kick to send Tanahashi to the outside. Uh, Ibushi jumps outside and he looks like he's going for the golden triangle, but instead he starts running towards Tanahashi. At the same time, Tanahashi tries to do a drive-by drop kick, uh, jumping onto the apron, but Ibushi jumps up and double stops Tanahashi in the chest instead. Again, another amazing sequence that just, like you said, looks so seamless and effortless on Ibushi's part. And also Tanahashi to do the, the drop kick from the ground onto the apron. Yeah, very very reminiscent of the, you know the spot with uh with Ibushi and Shinsuke Nakamura, and the replay really made this. The audience is just ooing and aahing at this this double foot stomp that I'm surprised Finn Balor hasn't stolen for a match with Roman Reigns. Oh yeah, well we'll see that maybe that maybe he's gonna get the F- best. future drive by sequence. Maybe he's gonna start wearing a vest, John. You know, with the big T on it. That could that could be in a in his fashion future. That could be. Hey, did you also catch the line here that <laughs> I think it was Chris who said that? Or you watched the Japanese commentary, right? Yes, yes. So he explains that Tanahashi is a god to Kota Bushi, even though Kota is agnostic and does not go to church. Well, he goes to the church of wrestling, John. So Tanahashi is a wrestling god, not like an actual Ta- Tanahashi is, is his deity. That's Him right. and Nakamura, it was explained here, are his gods. Yes, I'm sure like in, in, in Ibushi's house, he has like, you know, separate altars. One one is Tanahashi in like 2015 and one's like Nakamura in 2016. He, he bows and prays to both and says, I want to be as great as these two men. I want to be as great as these two men. But he doesn't have to be because he's great in his own, his own way, John. So I don't. I, I, I think honestly, between our our. Uh, between Damian Abraham and Chris Charlton, I think that those two might have the most insight outside of like a wrestler to to the the myth that is Kota Ibushi. Well, like, I, I, like this this would be the guy you would want to just hang out with for a week and just see like what what is this guy like away from the wrestling arena. Apparently, he he's like me. He likes to eat at Caesarea, John. Okay, well there you go. He's got great taste. Well, I don't worry. I'll be taking you to Caesarea. During your like you stay in Tokyo <laughs> many times, it's a it's cheap and it tastes good, John, and and the, and, and they give you a, a decent amount of food for the price. I'm down. I'm all in. Okay, so we get back in the ring and uh, they start exchanging strikes until uh, Tanahashi catches Ibushi, Ibushi with his first dragon screw leg whip uh, to a thunderous Tanahashi call. Uh, Tanahashi's counter drop kick is answered with a double stomp to uh, Tanahashi's back. Uh, another Tanahashi dropkick sends Ibushi out to the floor. Tanahashi goes to the top, but Ibushi cuts him off. Uh, a lawn dart attempt is countered, thank God, oh, with, God, with a modified slick blade. And it's a very ugly... I hate this move. I hate this move so much. <laughs> of the lawn dart? Uh, the lawn dart. I absolutely hate it. And I was so happy when he missed it because I forgot that it's, it comes back later in the match. Because this is playing off of... Like the lawn dart from their G1 match, which was uh, the G1 from 2015, where Tanahashi fucks up his neck from taking this thing. And so that becomes a big part of this match. Definitely. Uh, but you know the thing? He counters it with this incredibly ugly looking sling blade. Yeah, and, it, w- it wasn't the best counter, but it was uh, – I-, I was just happy that we had avoided the lawn dart here uh, as I was watching this in uh, – 
watching this back. Well, you know, for me, like when a movie doesn't always look smooth, I think it adds to the match, to the realism of the match. So I'm it was effective. You. It was effective. Yeah. Like he landed, like the, the landing, like the bump that, that Ibushi took off that sling blade was just like ugly. I was like, oh, I hope he's okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you. I think it's something that at times it's just such a, um, such a snap reaction that if a move gets quote unquote botched, it's suddenly like a, a mark of shame. And it's in a wrestling context, like everything should not always look smooth. And if a guy's working a knee injury and ends up, he's climbing the ropes and he legit stumbles. It's like, I'm, I don't hold that against the match. It's to me, I, I look at it as something that uh, it can very much enhance a match. Uh, Tanahashi does the Shibata corner dropkick, or at least his version of it, which unfortunately isn't as good as Shibata's or Kenta's for that matter. Uh, yeah, remember, Kenta invented it. He'll let you know. He'll let you know that for sure. He's he's going to let everybody know that uh, this year. Uh, Ibushi hits a modified, what I call this, I call this a modified tombstone Ganzo bomb that scared the shit out of me, John. I saw this and I was like, oh, don't, oh my God, did he kill him? <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's the story with a lot of Kota Bushi's moves. Is you think, oh my god, he killed his opponent. But he's so good at this stuff that you know he's protecting the guy, except maybe Naito. And and, and not, you know, you know, like Tanahashi's okay. He's he didn't break his neck or anything. But my god, if Bushi's so good, it looked like he did break someone's neck. Yeah, it it really looked scary watching it. The replay, like you can see, Tanahashi definitely like tucks the head uh, pretty well. But yeah, it still looked frightening. Uh, from here, Tanahashi does two grounded dragon screw leg whips and applies the Texas cloverleaf. Uh, there's an Ibushi call from the crowd for him to escape the hold, uh, which he does by grabbing the bottom rope. Another dragon screw leg whip, this time between the ropes. And then from here, uh, because uh, this sends Kodobushi to the floor, John, and from here, Tanahashi goes to the top rope and performs the high fly flow from the top rope to the floor <laughs> onto Ibushi. Yeah, you know, it's a big Tanahashi match when he's doing the high fly flow to the floor. That's like his rainmaker pose. That is when, you know, thing, things are on for, for Tanahashi when we get the, the big jump to the floor. It's, it's where he says, fuck this. I don't care what happens to my body. I'm going for it all right here. It's called, this is the last night of the tour. That's what the move is really called. <laughs> this, is, this is called, like, I don't have to ride that bus for another, like, three, <laughs> three weeks and have Kushida take my picture and put it on Instagram. That's what that's called. Uh, a Frankensteiner from Ibushi sends Tanahashi to the floor. Uh, Ibushi follows up with a springboard moonsault to the floor as well. So Ibushi's like, hey, you're going to do the high five foe from the top rope to the floor? I'm going to do a moonsault from the top rope to the floor, John. They're, it's tit for tat here. And effortless. Yes, totally effortless. I, I, I sometimes, I love Kodobushi, John, but sometimes I hate him because like, why are you so... So goddamn athletic and so good at it. it, it I feel uh, an immense sense of uh, jealousy towards this man, John. And also looks still like he's 23 when he's 37. He's got those uh, good Asian genes in him, John. Uh, Tanahashi slaps Ibushi off the top to the apron, but Ibushi bounces back and hits a springboard Frankensteiner on Tanahashi. <laughs> it's just incredible stuff here. Uh, and this is like past the 20-minute mark where we're into, 25 minutes or so. And both guys are are like still like in in like two and a, in like gear two and a half. They're they're about to hit third gear. Believe it or not, they haven't hit third gear yet. They're going to hit it though. Uh, Ibushi hits a uh, half and half suplex for a big two count. Uh, Kamagoye is dodged into a cradle, but uh, Ibushi comes back with a bomaye, 
Uh, I, I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan of his version of the Bomae. I think it looks a little bit off, and I don't like his his impersonation of the Nakamura pose, John. You know what hurts it the most is Taguchi, because that's what I think of when I see anyone do that pose now. And I, I think that I, I can appreciate the the callback to, to Nakamura, but it's also, out of context, it, it comes across a little silly. Yeah, like I, I, I think you're, I think you're totally on the ball with the, you know, Taguchi has kind of made it a comedy move, the the posing, and like Ibushi doing it, but he doesn't even like do it right. He's just like, 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 like you know, Taguchi and Nakamura would like throw their arm wide out across away from their body. Ibushi kind of like folds it into his body, like he's Buffalo Bill posing naked in the Silence of the Lambs. You know what I'm talking about, John? <laughs> That was the analogy I was looking for. I was searching for it. Yeah, look for the tuck-in scene in Science of Lambs, everyone, if you want to know what I'm talking about. Anyways, uh, a last ride is rolled through, and uh, Tanahashi slaps Ibushi. And this was a big mistake, John, because this awakens Killer Koda. Yes, where he goes into the next gear here and just plans his his murder plot on Hiroshi Tanahashi, which we would see with his uh, attack with the, the standing moonsault and then the lawn dart. Yeah, but before that, you know, the, Killer Kota proceeds to destroy uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi with a ferocious palm strike to the chest, then a slap, palm strike oh. combination, uh, until uh, front-kicking T, like, he just, like, straight kicks him in the chest. I couldn't believe it. And just the force of it sends Tanahashi into the corner. It's like he did the John Woo dropkick, but with one foot, John, and, and and standing. Yeah, and, man, the slaps in this were just unreal. Uh, Ibushi does his asshole kicks to Tana in the corner, but uh, Red Shoe drags him away. Uh, this gives Tanahashi enough time to uh, recover and slap the taste out of Ibushi's mouth. Fuck you, Ibushi. Those, those palm strikes hurt. Uh, Ibushi slaps back to no effect as Tanahashi Tana's up. This is what I call it, John. We have hulking up. We have Tana, Tana-ing up here. And that's what he was doing. And he bullies, basically bullies Ibushi into the corner where he gives him a hell of a slap exchange. And t- I, Sorry, a, a big slap exchange takes place between the two. And uh, I, I'm fucking loving this at this point, John. It's just, just like, this is now third gear and I'm, I'm, all, and I'm all in for it. Yeah, the if you watch the final, I would say eight to ten minutes of this, it is at another level. But you do need the first twenty minutes to get to that point. Uh, Tanahashi gets the upper hand, but Ibushi fires back with a huge clothesline, and this just sends the crowd into a big Ibushi call. They are well into it. I can remember this point being there live, and I'm like, yeah, I'm joining with the Ibushi calls at this point, John. I want, I want Tanahashi to win, but. You know, during this point, I'm just like, I, I got to go with the rest of the crowd because Ibushi is so amazing in this match. And I'm calling out, Ibushi, Ibushi, Ibushi. Uh, on the replay, you see Shibata's awesome reaction to the clothesline. Did you did you see this Shibata's reaction, John, in the replay? I didn't notice uh, the, the replay. I, I caught another one where it was after the... Uh, it was after the straight jacket German that Tanahashi delivered, and they cut to this camera shot over Kenny Omega's shoulder as he's climbing up, and he's all concerned. And it was like some of the camera work was phenomenal in this, and utilizing the the corners. Yeah, I, I you you know I think really unsung hero of New Japan Pro Wrestling is their production work, like especially their their camera guys and 
their the director. You know, Maria Canellis, you know, you know, you know, behind shots notwithstanding, or, or they, they they toned down the Mio Abe stuff, thank God. But like they're so good at framing shots and like, you know, drawing like I, I feel like it's intentional. They're like there's whoever's directing this stuff like knows his like, you know, his cinema his cinema history and is like, okay, we're going to create this over the shoulder shot and then make sure you're in place to get the reaction shot of this, of a move. I think is going to happen. So I assume the guy who's directing this is not only a huge wrestling fan, but like a big movie buff as well. Yeah. And, and you, you, you have to have that innate timing. Like it's one thing to say, uh, make sure during the, the title match that you cut to the title belt. Like that's fine, but it's gotta be at that perfect time. And I feel it like almost always is like, you're just at this certain point where you can't believe that the match has reached this level and then it just fades over to the championship. And it's like, it's such a beautiful cut. They always do that. Here is what they are fighting for. And this is why they are going to the ends of the earth to beat one another for this championship. And it's, uh, that's one of the little things that always adds to a big championship match. It's just that, that one cut during the main event. Uh, and from here we get an extended uh, strike exchange, which ends with a sling blade followed by a straight jacket German suplex, uh, both getting big two counts from uh, Red Shoes Uno. Uh, a high fly flow is blocked by Abushi raising his knees. Uh, and then from here, uh, Kodabushi recovers enough to hit a bomae to the back of Tanahashi's head. Uh, a standing moonsault into the double knees to Tanahashi's chest. I, and I was just like, oh my god, if Tanahashi is not near to being like complete out of it, then this man is indeed a wrestling God uh, here. And your favorite part of the match, John, the lawn dart onto Tanahashi oh. that looks like it killed him. Thank God it, it didn't. But like, I'm like you, I'm like, I have to see this move, but my God, if it did not elicit uh, like, you know, just an, like uh, an, a reaction of awe as well as like hor- horror for me at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's, I understand it's a callback to to another move. They're uh, telling the story with the neck, but oh my god, this this lawn dart is just a move that if I never see it again, there will not be a complaint out of me. But man, well, I guess not... if you're gonna do it, this is the match to do it in. But man, I'm I'm not a fan of the the uh, a guy's neck folding, and we saw that twice here in this match because when uh, man when Abushi took I think it was the straight jacket, and it was man, this guy just. He's very he's very uh, flexible, and I think he uses that for for all it's worth to just convey like his body contorting from suplexes. I gotta think he does neck exercises every morning, John. Like at least like an hour of just like work strengthening his neck, like just to be able to like survive all these matches with like guys like Na- Naito and Tanahashi and and Nakamura before and Kenny Omega. You know, it, it does. I gotta know what this guy's like warm-up routine and his neck routine is like. like we get we need to get Chris on correspondence, get a remote over back to his secret gym where like Chris knows the location of it and just find out what his neck routine is like. But you know, Ibushi's you know assault on Tanahashi is not done, John, because from here he hits the uh, second rope German suplex, which while Tanahashi is on the apron. So Tanahashi is outside the ring. He's standing on the apron. Kodobushi uh, climbs up to the second rope. He grabs Tanahashi into uh, a German suplex move. And the amazing strength of, Tana, of, of Ibushi is on display as he like deadlifts him up over the top rope and into a German suplex back into the ring, John. I, I am always amazed when I see this move because the, of the sheer athleticism, coordination, balance, and strength it takes to perform a move like this. 
Yeah, and this place is absolutely electric at this point. I mean, they have every single person in this arena going insane. Shibata is yelling encouragement to Tanahashi. Like, it's really an unbelievable environment they've created uh, for this peak point uh, of the match. Like, following all of this in the G1, like this, like, this felt like the match of all matches at this point. Oh, definitely. From here, Ibushi hits a last ride for a big two count. Uh, Kamwe Goi is dodged by Tanahashi. The sling blade is dodged by uh, by uh, Ibushi. I, I'm just I wrote all these notes down, but I can't keep up with it because this, I'm just thinking back to the match itself, and I'm just losing uh, my mind thinking about it. Ibushi hits the cross arm German two count. Uh, wrist control is maintained. This is a big thing yes. in New Japan. The wrist control. I, I love it. I, I think it's been a great little addition, like from Okada, and then utilized here uh, with the with the wrist control by Abushi for the Kamagoye. Yeah, and he goes for the Kamagoye, but it's turned into the twist and shout. And then Tashi follows up with a second twist and shout. Uh, a vertical suplex uh, from Ibushi escaped by Tanahashi, and it's turned into a dragon suplex, which is, you know, escaped by from Ibushi. Uh, there's a slap. A high back, a high kick is dodged by Tanahashi. Uh, so slaps from both men, and then uh, Ibushi goes for the high kick, and Tanahashi ducks out of it. Uh, dragon suplex, but Ibushi kicks out. Oh my god, John! I I I'm just getting winded, like just talking about this sequence. It's unbelievable. Uh, high fly flow to the uh, back of uh, Ibushi. Uh, it's not gonna. But Tanahashi knows it's not gonna put away. He ascends back to the top rope. Tanaha, uh, Ibushi is standing up. High fly flow, cross body block, and then this is it, John. This is the moment. Tanahashi ascends back to the top rope for a third time. High fly flow one. Two, three, Budokan Hall erupts. I went nuts. Jojo went nuts. Christine went nuts. I know the other friends I had it, throughout the, the, the Budokan Hall were going nuts. John, it was like one of the greatest moments of my wrestling life. This place went nuts for Tanahashi and winning the G1 this year. So this was better than the, the Fujita final? Uh, I will safely say that it is better than the <laughs> Fujita final and it's better than the Chono Takayama final as well yeah it was um to me this was one of the best matches of the year this was one of the uh i would venture to say this was the the best g1 final i've seen i thought this was at another level uh between two of uh this generation's very best uh i thought it was their best match that they've ever had and they've had some unbelievable classics uh i think if you really enjoyed this and you haven't seen their power struggle match that's a great uh, compliment to this one as well from the prior November. Um, it was phenomenal. I love this so much. The story on top of it of Tanahashi, who after this, like there are women that are crying uh, afterwards. Um, they, they showed this one woman who's hiding her face in a towel because she's crying in the crowd. Shibata, go back and watch this. Watch as the three count is made and Shibata's fist goes right into the air like he's Rocky Balboa. It was so awesome. Like his reaction, it was like this emotion being released from Shibata that he was just so happy that Tanahashi won. That was phenomenal. And then you have Omega consoling Abushi. So you have Tanahashi on top of the world. He's done the impossible. He's won his third G1 and Abushi is completely shattered. Omega is trying to console his best friend, his golden lover, and Abushi just stumbles to the back. He's in tears, and there is Omega having watched his his best friend broken, and he knows, 
I must go defeat this man at Wrestle Kingdom to avenge Kota's loss. Just unreal stuff. It was uh, phenomenal. And Tanahashi's like, the end of this, like this crowd, you can attest to this WH, not a soul is leaving this arena until this guy plays his goddamn air guitar. Like they were living and dying with Hiroshi Tanahashi after this this well, win. Well, I know like my my friend uh, Mort, who's uh, he's well known on like in the wrestling fan community. Uh, he he refused to, even though a group of us had tickets to go see the Big Japan show at, at Budokan Hall, at, at Corican Hall, like about a twenty five minute walk away from Budokan. We were like, okay, we we got to get to the show, Mort. We got to catch the first match, which is I think a, a Fuminori Abe Takuya Nomura tag match. We we want to see that, and like Mort's like, no, I gotta I gotta see Tanahashi do the air guitar i i have to see it especially after this g1 and okay we'll wait for you so <laughs> definitely awesome. he was more definitely was dying and breathing living and dying to see the air guitar from one of Tana after one of tanahashi's biggest wins uh so tanahashi uh wins the g1 in 35 minutes the longest match in tournament history uh this is his third g1 win with the others being in 2007 and 2015 uh in the post match john uh tanahashi gets the trophy from masashi nakayama who is a a fame world very very famous uh japanese football player uh that you know football being the being soccer in this case uh and he gets the flag from masahiro chono and he's very he's very careful you can you can see that he's very careful when he's waving the flag this time he's making sure he's not going to break it this year john yeah that that's been they were even talking about that on commentary that maybe they need a more sturdy flagpole for the g1 winner okay so final thoughts any other final thoughts on this match john before we go uh no i i i highly recommend this this was uh you know it was a phenomenal G1 um, overall. I definitely recommend uh, uh, other matches from the tournament like Omega and Ishii and Omega and, and Naito. Uh, but this was um, as good as any match from the G1 last year. And I, I thought it just – it was an unlikely story at the beginning, Tanahashi winning this G1. But by the end of it, I think they had set up so many great things. You had Abushi holding a win over Omega. You had Omega now set to defend the title against Tanahashi, which he would. But ultimately, with the loss of Omega, a lot of this couldn't be fully played out and paid off. But it felt, you know, if you went into this thinking that, oh, Tanahashi winning again, I think by the end of it, I mean, the story they told, I, I thought it was really excellent. And they did a really strong number for the Tokyo Dome. And, you know, you can – they they went through many, many changes over the next uh, eight months that would affect a lot of this. And it makes you wonder that had Omega stayed, what what the booking would have looked like for the beginning of 2019. Well, I mean, like, you know, Kenny Omega kind of revealed to, like, I think on the Wrestling Observer radio show, didn't he, like, that he was he was going to hold on to the title. He's going he to hold back Tanahashi's challenge, and he was going to lose the title at MSG to Okada. So, uh, to me, like, you know, just going ahead of, like, the, the post-match and kind of the booking between, like, the G1 Finals and Wrestle Kingdom, I, I always thought that, you know, for me, like, Tanahashi, I think, should have kept the title i think they should have done okada and tanahashi at madison square garden obviously we now know why they didn't because they wanted to save that as the match for the opening of the g1 in dallas this year i i can you know i can argue the pros and cons of that but you know we see there were the kind of like where the booking might have gone had omega stayed at least you know the the first you know six months of 
2019. But uh, the aftermath of this, of course, is that Tanahashi uh, gets the contract to uh, get the uh, the IWGP title at Wrestle Kingdom against Kenny Omega. But before, between then and between now and then, he has to f- defeat Okada, which he does on September 23rd in Kobe, and against Jay White at King of Pro Wrestling on October 8th. And of course, that leads into the the build for Wrestle Kingdom, and he would face Kenny Omega in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom 13 at the Tokyo Dome on January 4th, 2019, and he would claim he would win the IWGP heavyweight title uh, from Kenny Omega in. I thought, which was a, a really good match, but I still think the Ibushi match in the G1 Finals was was a was a better overall match than the Wrestle Kingdom main event. Yeah, I mean, you you can certainly it's a it's a toss up between the two two excellent matches, and I think that this uh, well we'll get into y- your rankings. I, I put this right near the top of G1 one Finals. I think that this. Um, it just kind of sh- to me. This is almost uh, you look generationally at just what what kind of a level now these guys reach and treat this this final. I mean, there's years where it doesn't feel as big as others, but I think now the G1 it's it's really been solidified for me over the past I would say five to six years now as you know the the tournament of all tournaments and the finals are among the you know biggest matches every single year. Okay, well, I let me do let me go through my rankings then. Uh, for the finals yes. and for the finalists. So first, we'll talk about the top 10 G1 Climax finals. I have three honorable mentions, John, because it's very, very hard to not talk about these matches. Uh, August 2nd, 1998, Shinya Hashimoto versus Kazuo Yamazaki. Just a very underrated G1 finals match between uh, one of the three Musketeers in Hashimoto and uh, really an unlikely person to reach the finals in Kazuo Yamazaki. But if you haven't seen this match, John, go out and watch this. It's so good it's the, the, the I, I just watched guys. this before uh before you and dylan did your review and you guys did a great review of that match but yeah this was uh, a really different style of of match that I, I think a lot of people would uh really appreciate like a, a totally different style than the match we just watched uh august 13th 2006 satoshi kojima versus hiroyoshi tenzan and john you know you talk about shibata's reaction to tanahashi winning I don't know if you saw this match and you saw the reaction of Jushin Thun Liger to Hiroshi, Hiroshi Tenzan hitting uh, Satoshi Kojima with the TDD, the sit-out TTD. He, he jumps up in the air and the look <laughs> on his face was unbelievable. That's fantastic. Definitely go out. Just watch that match for that reaction alone. Uh, August 12th, 2007, Yuji Nagata versus Hiroshi Tanahashi are our, our honorable mentions. So I'm going to go from uh, from 10 to 1. Number 10 All right. on my list is August 10th, 2014, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kazuchika Okada from the one of the few shows outside of Sumo Hall. This was at the Seibu Dome. I was at this show. Uh, I talk about this on uh, the 2014 episode. I talk about the typhoon that was happening during yes. this show, John. They had to overcome a potential natural disaster to put on this this show at the at the Seibu Dome. I remember this uh, very vividly. And they they didn't avoid the natural disaster of uh, you know Jeff Jarrett and uh, uh, Scott uh, Scott Demore joining the Bullet Club though. They, That's right. That was where they shot the angle with Jared and Demore joining the Bullet Club. Yes. Yes. Uh, number nine, August sixteenth. 2015, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, number eight, August 15th, 2010, Satoshi Kojima versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, number seven, 
August uh, 14th, 2011, Tetsuya Naito versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, number six, August 12th, 2001, Keiji versus Yuji Nagata. And I, if, if people haven't heard the, the episode I did of 2001 with Wei, go, go listen to it. To listen, just listen for me waxing poetically about the year Keiji Muto had in 2001. Just, it was a phenomenal year. It was great for him. Uh, number five is this match, August 12th, 2018, Kota Ibushi versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Number four, August 11th, 1991, our first one, Masahiro Chono versus Keiji Muto. Uh, number three, August 17th, 2003, Jun Akiyama versus Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Pro Wrestling Noah versus New Japan Pro Wrestling. At the height of, like, I would say the apex of Noah's popularity in the wrestling business and kind of like you know kind the of lower a, the lowest for new japan i would one, argue one of the lowest periods for new japan definitely uh so very symbolic match and just an amazing amazing not a new strong style match john this is a king's road style match the the review jojo and i did about this match jojo and i both point out like my god this is a this is a noah match her junakayama turns a, the the one of New Japan's biggest you know matches one of the biggest events in his calendar into basically a showcase for Noah's amazing wrestling style in the ring. Uh, number two, uh, August thirteenth, two thousand seventeen, Tetsuya Naito versus Kenny Omega, and number one, John, August eleventh, two thousand and thirteen, Tetsuya Naito versus Hiroshi Tanahashi is my favorite G one Climax final of all time. Yes, the the year that Naito was anointed the the new the new star the new star of New Japan and he would go on to uh, lose a fan vote at Wrestle Kingdom the following year. But this was the uh, that was the first G one that I had access to to watch it uh, via UStream uh, because prior to that it was it was unavailable to us over here. So that was the first year uh, I did all the 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 shows for the G one. I remember. I remember you were we were talking about that, and you announced that on on one of the shows that you were going to do all of them. And I remember, like, I could like vaguely remember like the the kind of the where you would you would experience on air throughout your 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 views of these shows, John. Well, these in 2013, it was it was a shorter time period, but it was ten matches a day, and I was doing these like at work, and they were. You know, it sounded like a great idea at the beginning, um, and I don't regret doing it, but it was it was pretty daunting for the uh, whatever it was, two and a half, three weeks of, you know, 10 tournament matches per day. I greatly appreciate this style more where it might take over a month, but it's five tournament matches a day because, man, you would see some unbelievable stuff and it would be it forget getting lost in the G1 shuffle. It would get lost in the shuffle of just the matches that day alone when you had a block and B block matches. But if you go back to 2013, watch the Osaka card. I think it's August 4th still to this day. One of the best wrestling shows I've ever watched in my life. Oh, definitely. Like, like I said, Osaka is always one of the premier stops on the G1 calendar. And now there's two of them starting last year. They've, they've expanded it because they love the Osaka fans so much. Like they're the, the strongest fans outside of Corkin. Are, are are in Osaka for New Japan. Uh, let's get to the top five G1 Climax finalists, John. At number five is Mr. G1 himself, Master Hirochono. Uh, number four, Hiroyoshi Tenzan. Number three, Tetsuya Naito. Number two, Shinsuke Nakamura. And number one, you might guess it's Hiroshi Tanahashi. Like, John, I got to see this man's growth from, like, from, like, you know, his 
the start of his ascent to where he is now. And it is an unbelievable journey. And I, I, I got to see like the apex of this journey in each of the G1 finals that he appeared in. Yeah, it's it's got to be cool for you to have gone back and like I'm sure you you watched them at the time, but to kind of go back now and watch them in succession, and you see someone like a Tanahashi go from uh, where he was and in the finals with Yuji Nagata in 2007, right up until last year's final, and the progression and really the transformation of New Japan itself um, that very much mirrored Tanahashi's rise. I think the you know the the 2010 match he has with Kojima is for my, for my estimation like the turning point for him in the mm-hmm. G1 where like okay he's a star like the, the 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 work he did with Kojima in that match just you know you know the the I don't know if you've seen this match recently John but he does his bump off of a clothesline that Kojima does to him while Kojima's standing outside and Tanahashi's on the second rope he does a backflip bump to land on his face from this clothesline to make, you know, Kojima even more impressive because that he's not going to win the match, but he's going to face him later on in that, in the, in the, in the Wrestle Kingdom the next year. So like they're building, he's doing all this stuff for Kojima in this match to build up his eventual conquering of Kojima for the title later on in the calendar. It's incredible stuff. Yeah. It's uh man. You go back, like Kojima had some, some gems um, uh, around like that era, like some just unbelievable stuff. Like if you have only started with new Japan over the last few years, like go back and watch some of uh, Kojima's standout singles matches. Cause there's a long library of them. And that's certainly one of them. Yeah. And also like one thing I, I really learned to do as well is appreciate uh, Tetsuya Naito. Cause re- really like his like transformation from a, a mid-card guy in the tag team with with Yujiro Takahashi into a singles guy into the Stardust Genius character, which I was never a fan of. I I was reminded, you know, you know it's my favorite match of the G in G One Finals history, John. That match had like had Stardust Genius, and I just look at him and I just think, God, you look like shit, Tata. You look like shit. I know. <laughs> my God, you look terrible. I fucking I can remember why I hated you. I can appreciate his work now from that point but i just reminded like no i could never ever get into you like thank god you became tranquilo naito lij naito you 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 got you you modified the look he looks so much better now john but i i can appreciate the switch like from that match to the match he has with with omega it's just incredible the match he has with nakamura i think solidifies him as like he loses that match but my god it solidifies him that this crowd is now ready for the start of this man's ascension, which, you know, which hasn't even peaked yet, I think, John, with Naito. No, it's going to be, I, I think this G1 is very, very important uh, for, for that progression to, to get to that, to that level that, you know, some have felt that Naito doesn't even need it. I think he does. Um, and we'll, we'll see if, the, if this is the year to, to pull the trigger on that. We're like right at the middle, uh, right around the midway point of the G1 right now. So he's, I think poised to have a big, big second half of the G1. And I think a lot of people's favorite to at least go to the finals, if not outright win it. Okay. From this point, let's, let's, let's wrap it up with the trivia, John. Are you ready? This is trivia from last year. Yes. And I'm, I'm very nervous and I did not, uh, I did not cheat ahead of time knowing this was coming. So I'm completely blank and I'm probably going to do terrible at the pop culture, even though it was, uh, I have the easiest trivia of anyone of your guests so far. 
Uh, number one song on the uh, Billboard charts in August of 2018, John. Is it a Taylor Swift song? I will give you a clue. This okay. artist is from the same place you're from. So it's Drake? Yes. Oh, okay. And it's... Uh, I... I uh, it's... Uh, is it the song about God's will, God's something? John, you're asking the wrong person. I wouldn't be able to tell you what a Drake song sounds like if there was like a million guns to my head. Well, I, th- I thought that was the name. I was going for the name of the song. I-, I don't know what the name of the song is. Uh, it's called In My Feelings. Is that the song? Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't listen to Drake at all, so I- I'm definitely the wrong person to go through his uh, his catalog of songs. But there we go. Drake, I have learned that uh, throughout your show, throughout our shows – when we do the music trivia, it's like, if we're talking about anything of the last four years, it's probably Drake. <laughs> it's probably Drake. It's true. Uh, if if uh, if a sports team wins a championship, it's probably because of Drake, right? That's, uh, that, that's it. Every, everything leads to Drake, from Degrassi <laughs> to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, number one album? Uh, whatever Drake's album was at the time. <laughs> this is true. Scorpion by Drake. Scorpion, okay. It's <laughs> uh, a great name for an album. Uh, number one movie at the box office? Uh, I thought about this before we started the show, and I was like, what movies were out last summer? I know this is too late that it it, it couldn't have been Infinity War. So the number one movie, uh, is, is it some, like, summer blockbuster trash? It's trash for sure. It, it stars, I'll give you a clue, it stars a okay. bald British guy that's going to be, I think, one of the biggest blockbusters of this summer. Mm. Is it and a he, Transformers movie? No. It's not that kind of trash, John. It 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 it's, it involves a giant shark. Oh Christ! Um, yeah, I was gonna go see this movie, and then it just looked too stupid for me. Um, I I don't know. I don't it, know the name. Uh, the Meg, starring Jason Statham. Oh right, right. Yeah, Jason Statham, who, as Benno has noted, is now a babyface in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes, he's got the after uh, just, after murdering in cold blood. I I agree with Benno. Like a total, I don't know, way too easy of a redemption story for Jason Statham in that series. Yes, well, I mean, Benno's all about the hashtag Justice for Han uh, movement over on Twitter. And well, I, I'm with him. I'm with him. Like this guy just murdered him in cold blood, and now he's buddying up with uh, the Rock. Well, he drives a cool car, John. Like it's okay. It's only Han. That's okay. That 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 will get you through the the roughest of crimes. It, it, it's it's just Han. Han's not that important to the franchise. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Anyways, uh, wrestling trivia, John. At okay. this time, who is the IWGP Intercontinental Champion? Chris Jericho. No. It wasn't Jericho oh, at this wait, time? Wait, was was it Jericho? Did I, did I, fuck, uh, hold on. Let me check while, uh. We're, we're uh, talking. Was it Jericho? He won it. He won it from Naito. For ah, you're. you're I, I thought. There. I, okay. Did he win it at Dominion? I, I thought he won it at Dominion. I think he won it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, sorry, I might have like uh, missed. Uh, you know, mistyped some stuff during the uh, during and facing. Oh no! I remember this because it was it was in the summer that Jericho came up with the Intercontinental versus Intercontinental title idea for SummerSlam that they, they ghosted him on and never responded. Okay, so I'm pretty sure he was IC champion at this point. I, 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 yeah, I think I'm completely wrong because like 
He won it at Dominion, and Omega won the title at Dominion. So he is, you're right, sorry, my mistake. Uh, he is the IWGP IC champion this fight. It's Chris Jericho. So you're correct. That's definitely uh, one uh, correct answer for you. Uh, Cruz is the Triple Crown champion at this time. Uh, was it Ishikawa? It's not Ishikawa. I know that for a fact. Was it Kento Miyahara? It was not Kento at this time. I'm pretty sure. Oh wait, wait, wait. Let's uh, let's go. Um... Oh God. Uh, let me just double check. I, I'm like not sure of my own <laughs> trivia now. If I fucked up writing the uh, the uh, the right people here, I might have mixed up the years. Let me see. Da, 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 da. Yes. Okay. The person I have listed is the correct uh, Triple Crown champion. It's not Kento Miyahara. It was, um, God, I'm going to draw a blank then. He, it's the person he wins it from for this current reign he's on right now. Who did he beat for the title, the, the most recent time, John? Oh, God. I, I, I really, I can't remember. It's uh, Zeus. Oh, fuck. Zeus was on the top of my head. All right. He might become the neutral crown champion as of this recording, John. It's a it's a couple of, it's a couple of days away. Their match for the uh, for the uh, triple crown championship. Okay, who are the ROH World Tag Team Champions at this time, John? Uh, last summer, the Briscoes. Yes, the Briscoe brothers are the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. Uh, NXT Women's Champion at this time. Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler, correct. And Impact X Division champion at this time, John. Oh, Christ. Um, the Impact X Division champion last summer. I don't know if I could tell you who the X Division champion is right now. Um, God. I think this guy holds a different championship now in Impact. Okay. Um Eddie Edwards. It's not Eddie Edwards. I don't think he's ever been X Division champion, has he? I don't know. He's been Impact champion. Maybe not X Division champion. God, this was only last summer. I should know this. Um, God, did Sammy Callahan have that title for a period last summer? No. I'll give you a clue. He's the kind of wrestler you wouldn't think to be an X Division champion. but yeah, That's why I was thinking, yeah, Callahan. Um He's kind of reminiscent of when Samoa Joe had the expedition. Right, title. right. Someone, someone bigger. Yes. Um, give me one second here. I'm, I'm, I'm like going over the Rolodex of like who's with Impact because people are like in and out. Uh, I'm not going to get this one, am I? It's Brian Cage. Brian Cage. All right. Yeah, yeah. He's the Impact champion now. So there we go. There we go. Okay, and that that wraps up. <laughs> the, the, the final episode for now of Cruel Summer, John, uh, 28 episodes. Uh, it, this was a fun ride for me. Like I, when I, when I thought of this idea and I, and I pitched it to you in way, you said, yeah, let's, that sounds like a good idea. Go ahead do it. I, I put together uh, a guest list. I, I didn't know who was going to end up, you know, going on these shows with me. And, you know, I got some, I had some last minute replacements. Uh, it, 
they all turned out well and just i'm so happy with like the the reception this has gotten from a lot of the the listeners and fans out there like it it, it humbles me that people have been enjoying this series and yeah thank you to to you john and to way for like uh putting this up on the site oh dude it was our total honor that you were able to undertake this huge project and you did it uh you did a fantastic job with this i mean it's uh i know a lot of people have enjoyed listening to the shows but man for you to coordinate uh 20 28 of these altogether, 27 uh with different guests in all these different time zones around the world uh it's amazing that you pulled this off i mean it was a really ambitious project and I, I thought you did just a fantastic, fantastic job uh, with this series. And I, I say that somewhat biased because it's on our site. But if this was somewhere else, it would be a series that I would say, damn, I wish we had that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's always nice to get positive feedback from yourself in a way as well. So thank you for that. And maybe like this is maybe this is not the end of Cruel Summer, John. Maybe it's going to become a, a yearly tradition here at Post Wrestling. Maybe every year I'm going to do... A review of the year before and we'll put it up before the the finals of the uh the g1 of whatever year we're broadcasting. maybe, maybe it can branch off maybe we're gonna get the cruel carnival maybe we're gonna get the cruel uh the whole cruel uh spinoffs uh you know i i don't think i could do the the anything with all japan because that footage is so like all over the place impossible it's, to find it it's be... too bad It'd be tough to to collate all that into one source, like especially because I would want the the listeners to be able to watch these matches. With New Japan World, it's so easy to do that. Yes, yeah. maybe I could do the 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 wonderful spring, and and I could do like something with the best of the Super Juniors. I don't know. I, I should should we talk about I don't know like the the new project I'm gonna undertake, or you, should we say you that? can? It's your show, WH. Whatever you want to disclose, go for it. Okay, so you know, coming soon before the end of the year, I'm I'm gonna. I haven't started this yet, but uh, it's it's being worked on. It's going to start production probably in September. We're going to do a show called Thunderstruck, and it's going to look at the career and the best matches as picked by not by myself, John, but by all the guests I'm going to have on this on the show uh, of Jushin Thunder Liger to coincide with his retirement at, uh, at January either January fourth or January fifth of two thousand and twenty. And I'm very excited. I have. A very impressive guest list, John. And unlike Cruel Summer, they're only going to appear once. And it's a it's kind of a, a cornucopia of people in wrestling, podcasting, fandom, and, and media that's going to be appearing on this series, John. I'm very excited to start it, actually. I look forward to it, uh, WH. You've, uh, you've created a big audience here for yourself, and I look forward to the next chapter of uh, the WH Park Chronicles. And we're, we're going to have to find something that, that sounds like Thunderstruck by ACDC to like uh, be the bumper music for this. Uh, we'll we'll have to work on that together to find that you know uh, open source kind of a song for for the opener for this show. By the way, we'll get we'll get Braden on it. Get Braden on it. Maybe he he can make it. He can talk to his friends that made the uh, uh, up next theme. By the way, I I do love. I originally wanted to get the uh, use "Cruel Summer" by Banana Rama, but we you know due to policy changes and such, which is fine. I do love. The opening of this show, by the way, that you and Wei found is just it just it just grew on me over time. I just like I like, you know, the, the beat to it. I thought it's really a great approximation of the Bananarama song. Thank you for that, John. Uh, that was Wei's find. I, I find it to be a catchy tune as well. So I uh, yeah, that was that was a waiting find wherever thank, he got that. Thank you, Wei, 
when you listen to this. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks to everyone for listening, supporting, retweeting, and, and saying great things about Cruel Summer. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to all my guests. Thank you so much for putting up with my, my text messages, with coordinating with me living in Japan, with you living in the UK, the United States, in Canada, in Australia. It was, it was fun to, to t- speak with everyone. I, I'm humbled by like, your, your support and your, your, your contributions of your time. And、uh, yeah, maybe next year, around this time, we will see, hear the, the、uh, episode 29 of Cruel Summer Giant. Until then, I bid adieu and say bye to everyone. Until then. <laughs>